comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Previously on Out Now with Aaron and Abe. What does Spider-Man do exactly? I think that he's a high school student. But like, what's like, what's his job? What are his job prospects? Like, spidering in the day and then what? Does he spider in the day, or does he do things like Batman at night? I guess I mean, he has more. Well, I see. I mean, he seems to be in the daytime all the time. But like, what's like? So he's he's got Jameson. He's doing that. I guess he's that, in college too. That must pay like twenty dollars per photo or something. I I mean, he takes a lot of if he takes enough photos. Yeah, I mean, Ant Man brings up a good point. You gotta stop. You gotta stop living in the clouds here. Get a job here, buddy. Support me. That's what Martin. That's what Martin Sheen was saying. Like Ant Man was more like, I'll make your lunch and do your laundry for you, and we'll just you know. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. Introduction. Recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe. Hola. Out now is a film podcast. Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring a discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to past films similar to the main film of the week, games, and and other fun stuff. Oh, a little early this week. A little bit. A little bit. This is episode 149. 149. That's one away from 150. It is. We're right there. We're right at the, right at the, there at the cusp. That yeah, that, <laughs> the the creme de la almost cusp. That's that's not a saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's episode 149. This week we were talking about the Amazing Spider-Man two. I had nothing else to follow that. Yeah, there's no there's subtitle. No yeah, <laughs> I think it, I think internationally it is Amazing Spider-Man two colon or colon. Rise of Electro, but here it's just it's basically mm. Spider-Man 2, because you need more words in the other yes, countries. yeah. I mean, they, they need to explicitly tell people how many villains there are. Well, they'd be also like, how many Amazing Spider-Mans are there? Are there two of them? What's going on in this one? I don't know. I think Electro's rising. I think that's pretty much the... It's pretty straightforward, I guess. Yeah? It's more like a sentence. There's like a massive helicopter like right outside my window. <laughs> I'll wait for that to pass. It's actually Aaron getting raided by the cops. Okay, that's gone. Anyway, so yeah, we're talking about the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Joining us today, from the site and podcast, The Battleship Pretension, debating whether or not to sell his Electro records, it's Tyler Smith. <laughs> Hello. And, from Jersey Shore and other HHW LOD podcasts, he recently ate a few tacos with Miles Morales. It's Jordan from Jersey. Hey How Good are you both? tacos, too. Yeah, good, yeah. How are you, how are you, how are you guys doing? How Amazing. are you guys doing? Yes. <laughs> Amazing, I like that. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Did Miles make those tacos? That's <laughs> no, Abe. Okay, I'm just curious. Abe, I don't know. He's busy. He's got spider stuff. He's got, yeah, he's got spider stuff too. But he's probably also got like arithmetic homework. 
That's anyway. where I come in. I'm the tutor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. We got Tyler, we got Jordan, and we're going to talk Spider-Man. But before we do that, let's get to some announcement stuff. Um, we are at our 149th episode, which means our 150th episode is next. It's our next episode. That's what happens generally after 149. You get to 150. Yeah. And um, Abe, are you excited? I'm pretty excited. I mean, that's like 350 cents. <laughs> it's like it is like that yeah but yeah we do have a very special plan for our 150th episode and following that episode there will be a be upgrading upgrading the show a bit version 3.7 as we've been calling that it. is correct yeah out now three points uh, a little bit tighter and uh hopefully uh everyone enjoys what we do so yeah so there's that we'll get there when we get there but um for now itunes reviews and ratings good to get those we're currently only two away from our from our very simple goal of getting a certain number before we got to a certain point. And because we only have a week left, two is not that hard to do. So help out the show, help other people find the show. If you just go on to iTunes and give us a review or rating, that'd be it'd be great. Thank you. This helicopter's still here. <laughs> Somebody's getting arrested in your neighborhood, dude. Now it's gone again. It's it's a what? It's a ghost helicopter? Okay. Anyway, moving on. Um, last week we recorded our summer wager, our super third annual summer gamble episode where, uh, Mark and Maxwell, Abe and I, we all went over what we think are going to be the top 10 films. Very similar list. Box office this summer. Yeah, a lot of similar lists, but we also got our, uh, some of our stragglers. We had, a we had Jordan, we were waiting, Jordan Grout, we were waiting for to get his list in. And I also entered our friend of the show, Jose, because why not? So here, I'm going to read their list real quick. Try to check out what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jordan's list, his top 10, starting from 10, Edge of Tomorrow, A Million Ways to Die in the West, 22 Jump Street, Godzilla, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Maleficent, X-Men, and Transformers, His Dark Horses are Guardians of the Galaxy, Fault, The Fault in Our Stars, and Neighbors. Jose's list, we have 22 Jump Street, Neighbors, Guardians of the Galaxy, Maleficent, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Spider-Man 2, X-Men, Godzilla, Transformers, and How to Train Your Dragon 2. So, so Jose oh. and Maxwell are the only ones that have drag, How to Train Your Dragon 2 as what they think is going to be the top grossing film of the summer. Very interesting. I'm, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen now. And Jose's Dark Horses, Faults in Our Stars, A Million Ways to Die in the West, and Tammy. So those, for the, yeah, Lewis McCarthy money. So those playing at home that are also diligently graphing all of these, these choices that we made, there you go, you have them now. Let's see, what else? Um, I hope everyone had a happy comic book day. Jordan, did you have a happy comic book day? Uh, not really, because by the time I got to my shop, all the books I wanted were already taken. But, uh, that's good for the shop. So that, you know, oh, the, the okay. goal of free comic book day is to get lots of new people into the shops. And uh, hey, if they're successful in that, awesome. I'll, I'll find those books sometime later. It, it pays to be early, can I say? Yeah, yeah. Also, may the fourth be with you. Have a good Star Wars day, everybody, even though this comes out on Tuesday, way after Star Wars day, but why not? Have a good May 6th. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's the enthusiasm on that yeah. one. That really, that really sold it. I had to do the math in my head really quickly. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on here. Let's get out of this. Let's get to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a few questions, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to know no everybody. everybody. And I'll let Abe start this one off this week. Awesome. Tyler. Okay. You're writing a movie script. Oh, jeez. How many villains do you put into your film? One. Okay. Oh, wait. Hang on a second. Oh, you're what's, revising it. What's the genre? The genre is uh, anything you'd like it to be, actually. Oh, probably none, then. No villains. Interesting. Because he's fighting himself or herself? Eh, just general adversity. Uh, civility is the hero here. 
that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Aaron. Yes. Shut up and listen. Okay. I've got a question for you. <laughs> okay. All right. So Spider-Man is a guy who is bitten by a spider. I hate spiders. I think they're terrifying. What is your worst fear? I can tell you it's not spiders because it's a tarantula in my room, literally like five feet away from me. Holy. Uh, uh, whoops. <laughs> uh, that's terrible. Why don't you kill it right now? The, the tarantula is coming from inside the house. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What was it? What was my, my fear? Is oh yes? Yeah, your worst fear. But now I feel like you've derailed us by telling me, like, <laughs> Is it so that you can keep an eye on it? So it's like, all right, well, I at least know where this one is. <laughs> if I need to kill it, I can. To overcome its fear, he must live with it. Oh, what is? Oh, what is its name? Do you did you name it? Yeah, it's Copernicus. Oh, <laughs> everything about this is terrible. Does he have man. a tiny telescope? Oh boy, Aaron, man, I realize we're not in the same room, but you're creeping me out. Like I, I, I feel, I feel like he's gonna. Bite me like uh, by proxy. If we were using the video, I'd so like just have it in front of that the whole time at this point. If you're using the video, the podcast is over. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, you're insane. Okay, worst fear. Although I think I've got a new one now, and that's that you're gonna throw a tarantula at me the next time I see you. It's All not... right, worst fear. Aaron, go. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> and you can get real here. You can say like abandonment. I'm I'm trying to think of like an actual fear I have. Uh, okay. Um. Missing your movie screening. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that because that, that I am generally terrified of. Of no. time. I wake up screaming from spider-related nightmares, <laughs> and you're gonna tell me missing a movie screening? Yeah, so us are just you know different. Man, oh man. Jordan. Yes, sir. Unstoppable rhino suit, a glider, extra arms, or wings. What would you choose? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think I'm going wings. Wing, wings just has a lot of practical, fun uses. All right. Yeah, I like that. Uh, let's see. Let's bring it around full circle. Abe. Yeah. As you already mentioned, uh, lots and lots of Spider-Man villains out there. Who's your favorite minor Spider-Man villain? Minor Spider-Man villain? Uh, Brock, before he becomes Venom, because he's just annoying. Okay. <laughs> He's just like, hey, the rival hey, newspaper. Hey, Peter. Yeah, hey, Peter. Oh, you got another photo of Spider-Man there, huh? It's just like, yeah, I guess you can go get that Venom suit, because then you become cooler. But can, you, can, really... you, can you use your New York accent more on this show, hey, please? <laughs> Pizza! Forget about it! Okay, yeah. So really, he's only a villain because of no journalistic integrity going yes, and taking yeah. the Sin Eater story. Yeah, he's gonna get fired, he's gonna get, like, you know, very upset, and he's gonna get this Venom suit, but before that, he's just he's just very annoying. He's just in the way a lot. I can't wait to see uh, Dwayne the Brock Johnson's Hercules movie this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Jordan. Yes, sir. Mark Webb has now directed a movie that relates to his last name, What's the movie that you direct that's similar to your last name? Uh, a all-black remake of What's Eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were going to go with What's Eating Gilbert Grape. The all-black part is strange. That's just icing on the cake. <laughs> that's what um, that that's what they said when they remade uh, Death at a Funeral. <laughs> that was really good, though. I was, yeah, it was a good remake. 
It's like shot for shot, though. Yeah, that's that unnecessary. Seems like another word you could use. But all right. Well, mine's also going to be in 3D. <laughs> Uh, see here, Tyler. Yes. You, you've already mentioned you're not a fan of spiders, so... No, they're terrible. If you were to be bitten by a radioactive or genetically engineered creature and gain its powers, which animal would you like to be bitten by? Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. I realize <laughs> these questions aren't serious, but I'm going to take this as seriously as I did my wedding vows. You should. Something um, with a small mouth. Uh, let's see. Let's say... Oh, let's see. Well, griffins don't exist. <laughs> I mean, if we're if we're if we're genetically engineering things, they probably could exist at this point. Okay, uh, if that's the case, then because uh, like, I was thinking lion, then I was like, well, but I want to be able to fly too. Oh, hang on, there's a solution to this. Um, so yeah, we're gonna Chimera? we're going. I would be the I would be the griffin. Nice. I would fly I like through the air and maul people. You'd probably have great hair too. Oh, there's no question about it. <laughs> Beautiful flowing hair. What's the what's the Marvels the Griffin? What is his name? Oh, Johnny Horton. So you want to be like Johnny Horton? Sure. <laughs> Strange comic book character. Look him up, kids. <laughs> Johnny Horton. Oh my gosh, that's a. Did deep he cut. hear a who? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, he he cut off his hands and attached lion hands, if I remember correctly. It's like I said, it's weird. <laughs> wow. He eventually became Namor's steed. Oh, interesting. Oh okay. That's very strange. Okay. So, I do not remember who's been asked what. I think Aaron's still left to be asked a second question. Oh, I asked him. A, okay. All right. Aaron, I got another question for you. Oh, good. And I'm not thrilled with it. So, let's uh, get this out of the way. Uh, whom do you believe, ha- whom, whom do you think has the better rogues gallery, Batman or Spider-Man? Um, I would say Batman just because I'm more of a Batman fan than Spider-Man, but I admit that both Spider-Man and Batman pretty much have the best rogues villains, r- rogues gal, rogues gallery of villains. Uh, Flash has a good sell. Incorrect. The third option, X-Men, is the correct option. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I like that surprise question. <laughs> that was a last-minute decision on my part. You're welcome. They're always changing sides and stuff, though. They're like that is true. Like, yes, they're they're always bouncing around. Like yeah. Magneto and, and Xavier, they're like practically going on dinner dates at this point. Mister Sinister is only ever going to be on one side, and I'll give you his a own. Hint. Yeah, his his last name is Sinister. If that'll <laughs> give you any general idea. <laughs> and Apocalypse just don't care. He's like, whatever. Like I'll just I'll just talk really big and and just eat things and, and grow things. Grow things. Yeah. Galactus is just hungry too. He's not an X fan though, but whatever, or a, <laughs> or a Brotherhood. Okay. Um, who I don't know. Abe. I think we've all had two, but I haven't asked the second question. Abe. Uh, oh, yeah. that's right. What is the weirdest age you have seen for an actor matched against the character they played in a film? Uh, there was um uh, that very old woman in not another teen movie who was playing that Drew Barrymore sketch. She's like ninety. She's like, I'm the new high school student. I was like, no, you're not. Well, that's I, I the get... that's the joke though. I know. <laughs> that's like the first thing that popped in my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there was like a film that we that we talked about, kind of uh, maybe last year, and I'm being very general here, but uh, I'm yeah. It it was like, wait a minute, that guy's like 50 and he's playing like a 30 year old or something like that. I don't know. It is strange that Andrew Garfield was like 30. I didn't know that he was 30. Uh, I thought he was still like 
26 or something. No, well, he's just graduating high school, but he's 30. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's science has, back a lot. Science high school's tough, man. <laughs> right, yeah. Anyhow, I don't know. I don't have a really great answer for okay, you. Apparently. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, we'll move on then. After we've sufficiently terrified Tyler with all this spider talk, we can we can get oh my gosh get into other things. Okay. I'm, I'm actually like I'm I think I'm angry at you. <laughs> <laughs> I They're feel like I should have Tyler. I feel like I should have known this beforehand. I might I might not have come on the show, which I'm sure your listeners would have been thrilled with, but still. Like, well, we they would have been thrilled. We need, with we need that. all the battleship attention. I don't know, but. Uh... Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that's how we play now, everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get that no cookies. Jim. Each week out now, we, we see one main movie of the week, but we also have other movies that we also might have seen during the week. That was only I have a segment called that now, Quickies. Jim. Abe. Yes. Have you seen any of their movies this week? I have not. Pass. Nothing. No. Yeah. Okay. Very busy week. <laughs> Tell me about it. Jordan, have you seen any other movies this week? I rewatched The Amazing Spider-Man 1 to prepare myself for this movie, and I rewatched A Band Called Death and bought the album. A Band Called sure. Death. Keep on knocking. That's the documentary from last year about the, the punk rock. Band called Death? Yes. <laughs> and it's very good. I recommend it to anybody. It's on a Netflix Instant. All right. Tyler, have you seen any other movies this week? Uh, yes. I saw Only Lovers Left Alive, the Jim Jarmusch vampire film. And I saw an old uh, British uh, exploitation movie called The Flesh and Blood Show. We need to hear more about that. What is that about? Uh, it's kind of great. Uh, it's about a bunch of, uh, young British actors called to an old abandoned movie theater to be part of a production. And once they arrive, there's no director, there's no producer, there's just them. And, uh, not surprisingly, they start getting picked off one by one. The reason that I like it is because it's surprisingly self-aware. And I think it winds up being an interesting commentary on the exploitation genre itself. It is really wonderful. I really enjoyed it. The Flesh and Blood Show? Yes. Cool. All right. Recently released uh, on Blu-ray by, well, let's see. I think it's by Kino, but uh, under their, like, Redemption uh, he- uh, label or whatever. Mm. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't really keep track of all that. I probably should. But, yeah, it's recently re- released on Blu-ray, and, uh, and, yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. All right, cool. If you are sensitive to nudity, it might not be the movie for you. Oh, keep keep that in mind. I know Abe yeah. has Abe has very sensitive nudity clauses. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh wait, that's the opposite of what you guys are saying. Um, I was still attending the Newport Beach Film Festival this week, so I've seen a lot, a lot of movies. But I'll point out a few. I saw the Japanese remake of Unforgiven, starring oh. uh, starring Ken Watanabe. I'm so excited. Um, I like it. I think it's a I think it's a solid movie. I I consider Unforgiven the original to be Clint Eastwood's best movie as a director and as an actor for that matter. Um, so, you know, there's high expectations for me leading into this movie. I would say it's not as good as Unforgiven, but at the same time, it's still very, it's still very well made, very well acted, very, you know, it's a very solid movie because that story is very solid. And I think Ken Watanabe does a good job. Um, it's <clears throat> yeah, obviously Unforgiven is originally a Western and this has the kind of unique idea of taking a Western and turning it into a samurai film as opposed to the other way around, which generally happens with Westerns. And um, it's it's really interesting to see that kind of switch over the, in the reverse direction, but still have that same kind of core story. In it. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure when that's expanding to 
theories, you know, here everywhere. I'd imagine this summer sometime at some point since it's been around since last year. But uh, there's that. Um, I saw a movie called Arlo and Julie, uh, which is like this. It's like this screwball comedy, like set in modern times. It's like about this. It's like about this couple, Arlo and Julie, and they start receiving like puzzle pieces in the mail, and they're trying to figure out why. And it's like this weird kind of screwball slash Twilight Zone mystery story that I really enjoyed. That was really good. Yeah. I hope it gets a expansion. I hope it gets picked up by somebody. And last thing, I saw a movie called Follow Friday, the film, which is a road trip documentary about Twitter. Um, Lame. It's really enjoyable. Oh, okay. And I really liked it. And the filmmaker was very kind, and she might be on the show at some point, Abe. So I mean, that was amazing. It's yeah. an amazing film. Amazing film. I'm going to edit my lame part out. <laughs> does the film come out – this may sound like a joke. I don't mean for it to be. Uh, does the film come out like pro or con, or is it not that kind of movie and just wants to – kind of give a portrait of, of twitter it got, yeah it's like it's that latter it wants to give a portrait of twitter it's about this uh this girl who's trying to it, the the main goal is for her to like try to get her account verified uh, much like like many celebrities do so she goes on like the road and she, she starts interviewing a lot of the different followers that she has because she has a lot of followers and just like meet them in real life and whatnot so it's this kind of all over the u.s road trip journey as she discovers these various people that are on twitter and like yeah, are basically friends with her and it's really interesting. It's neat to see. It's a lot of people explaining what they get out of it, and it's less about kind of Twitter as a company or whatever, more about communication as a whole in this kind of day and age. It's really, I, I really liked it. It was really really charming. So, that sounds delightful. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully that gets uh, picked up by some point as well and gets spread wider. But, yeah, that's what I've been seeing. Lots of films at the Newport Beach Film Festival. That's what I've been up to. But that's over now. I'm way less busy because of it. So there you go. All right. How was that now, Quickies? Yeah. Let's move on now. Let's get to movie trailer talk, where each week we discuss some of the newest trailers and what we thought of them when they're coming out and what have you. We've got a couple here. The first one up, we've mentioned it a couple times already, The Fault in Our Stars. What? This is a movie that's based on a what I assume is a very popular book about two teenagers. Um, does one have cancer? Do they both have cancer? I believe one, they uh, both do. They both have they've been trying to get me to read this book for a year now. Mm-hmm. And, like, Shailene Woodley's one, and the kid who played your brother in Divergence, the other. <laughs> exactly. Then, then now they then they become, you know, Lovers. get in a relationship together, and I, I assume there's, there's lots of hilarity that ensues, because it's a movie about two kids of cancer falling in love with each other. So, with that said, uh, Tyler, what did you think of the trailer for The Fall in Our Stars? Well, I saw it uh, a few weeks ago, and it, it's so fascinating to me. I I don't really keep track of like what books are popular. Is this like a young adult novel? I uh, yes. I okay, all right. So written well, by was, I... one of the Vlog Brothers, if I remember correctly. That's interesting. Uh, but what I will say is that uh, had, I probably could have, as, as I was watching it, I was like, I bet this is based on some young adult thing. But as I watched it, I like. Uh, I think the only thing I've seen Shailene Woodley in is The Descendants. Uh, in which I thought she was astounding. I really loved her performance. And so uh, almost to the point where I feel like I might wa- I, I might watch a movie solely because she's in it, at least that's what I thought uh, until I saw this trailer and I just thought, like, man, I like here's the thing. It reminded me of The Notebook, a movie I actually kind of like. Um, I'm not opposed to melodrama, but it just, I don't know, it just seems like the kind of thing where I almost feel like the cancer is almost a gimmick, almost like, well, how do we make 
how do we make our teen romance, how do we make it different? Oh, they're both dying. There we go. Problem solved. It just kind of feels, it feels like that to me. Uh, but maybe I'm old and cynical. Jordan? Well, like I said, my sister's been trying to get me to read this book for like a year. Um, the trailer looked fine to me, and I'm sure I'll see it with her because she'll, she'll definitely see it. Um, but I hear really great things about the book, so assuming they can translate that to film well, and I know the author's happy with the film, then, uh, you know, I'm all for it. It didn't look bad to me. I'll put it that way. Abe? I'll say that it didn't look bad either. I, I'm not ultra thrilled about it because of the 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 serious topics that they go through. But I do enjoy when uh, when filmmakers and authors write things about young adults uh, and very serious matters such as cancer and death and dying. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I, I, I enjoy Charlene Woodley's acting, and I think that this movie looks pretty strong, but um, I don't know if I'm excited to see it. It's just more of I probably will see it, um, but it looks good enough to probably see in theaters. Yeah, uh, it it looks like like some kind of event film based on what I'm hearing about it, based on like this love for the book that I just didn't know existed until you know obviously this trailer came out, which I seem to be able to say for every young adult novel that turns into a movie these days. Um, I I I have like almost no opinion on this trailer. Right? I feel like yeah, all right, you got Shailene Woodley, she's hot right now, um, and then you got like she's other- like Hansel. Exactly, she's so hot right now. Um, and you got like some other guy who's Ansel, which sounds like Hansel. And um, they have cancer and they fall in love and things. And I, I feel like, all right, that's a yeah, I, I get it. I I don't know. If I'm gonna be the one that you know really wants to love this movie. But at the same time, hey, maybe there's good acting or the story has something unique besides what I only assume could be inevitable outcomes of this kind of story. But right. Obviously, there has to be something, not obviously, but there. Should, I guess there could be something more to it beyond what it seems like on the surface, but I just have no idea. And, uh, I'll be I'll be curious to find out if there is more, and I'll be happy to be like, hey, that was actually pretty good, or be like, oh, that's what I expected. So, pretty pretty in the middle for me on this one. I don't I don't know. Uh, but the Fault in Our Stars opens June sixth, uh, you know, a month from now, basically. Let's move on to the next one. Let's go to Let's Be Cops. This is a new comedy with Damon Wayans Jr. and Jake Johnson, both on both on New Girl currently. All right. Um, basically, these two guys dress up for a costume party as cops, and presumably it goes really well because they just stay in costume and become fake cops, which is highly illegal, of course, and will likely wind them up in you know jail for a long time. I assume that's how the movie ends. They're just in jail. That, that's the only place it's I can real. see it going. It is real, right? Yeah. With that said, Jordan, thoughts on the trailer for Let's Be Cops? I had not seen the trailer till today, but uh, I'm on board. I, I like that cast. I like those guys on New Girl, and uh, the trailer looked funny. So, I mean, I, for me, it has kind of a similar feel to, like, a 21 Jump Street, which I wasn't, like, super interested in, but when I finally saw it, I really enjoyed it. And with these actors who I like in general more than the actors in that movie, um, I think it looks really funny. Tyler? Uh, yeah, I also did not see the trailer until just, uh, just now, just a few minutes ago. And, uh, and I watch new girl and I really, and I'm a big fan of Jake Johnson. Uh, I like him as an actor. Um, do you prefer and, and, Jake or Jack? Which of the Johnsons do you like? <laughs> oh my, 
Oh, oh, don't make me choose. We were making the t- <laughs> we were doing some really challenging questions at Tyler. Yeah, today. I know. It's it's we're recording this early for me, and uh, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna go. Oh, can I just kill myself so I don't have to choose? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always that third option we have on out now, and and it's only been chosen once so far. Okay, third option: X Men. <laughs> um, so okay, uh, yeah, it's. I'm sure if I were to watch it, I would laugh. You know, you can't get a cast like that and a, and a, and a kind of a fun premise and not get laughs. But what I will say is that, I mean, you mentioned it looks like uh, 21 Jump Street. Yes, it does. Perhaps a bit too much. And I'm, and I'm okay with movies being kind of copies of each other. But w- what with 22 Jump Street coming out, like, it just feels like, like Hollywood once again just trying to recapture something that incidentally is already being captured mm-hmm. and just trying to do their own version of it. And also, you know, you want, when you watch it, it's like the the jokes seem to be just uh, histrionic reactions to things and also things like uh, it's like, oh, here's an unfortunate thing. That was awesome. It's that. It's just – you know, um, that's that's so many like, comedies. It, that's so it's right. just like, oh, a, a cop wouldn't act like that. Oh, but they're not cops. That's why it's funny. Whereas, of course, I think Twenty One Jump Street is is funnier because they actually are cops that are not reacting the way they should. But either way, it just I'm sure I would laugh. You know, it does seem like a, a movie that would be something of a joke machine. And so they're probably going to throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks. And I, I think probably a lot will. But in the end, I feel like it'd probably just be kind of forgettable, which is unfortunate because, like I said, I, I like I like the two leads. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, more than anything. It just felt somewhat uh, uninspired. I pretty much feel the same way that Tyler does. Um, I'm a little bit more excited for it. Uh, I do like the cast as well. I'm a big fan of Damon Wayans Jr. from Happy Endings, uh, which Aaron and I both enjoy enjoyed because it's not on anymore. Um, never really picked up with New Girl. But I hear that it's good. And Jake Johnson, I mean, he was pretty funny in Safety Night Guaranteed with a very poignant story. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of laughs in here. Again, they're they're pretending to be cops. And it looks like it gets even more outrageous as the trailer progresses in terms of what they're doing every day as cops. And then they probably save the world. Just saying. They, I, mean, I think that they do. It's almost going to be like in a rush hour, the FBI is going to come in and be like, hey, look. Here's a badge, and they're gonna be like Chris Tucker, and they're just gonna throw it away because they're gonna be fake rogue cops forever. What if that was the end of the movie, where <laughs> they just like offer to be cops? Like, guess what, guys? You you pass, you pass the test of like you didn't go to cop school, but you still get to actually be cops because you like stop this drug deal from happening. <laughs> actually, we're just handing you a prison sentence. That's what we actually mentioned. It. Um, I, I think it looks funny. I mean, I, I agree with the kind of like, yeah, it's probably going to be forgettable, but I think it looks like forgettable fun. And I do like the cast. I like Jake Johnson, who more and more reminds me of Oscar Isaac every day, which makes me want them to be brothers in some movie. Um, and I, I like Damon James, Damon James, Damon Wayne's Jr. quite a bit. So putting them together again, since I'm currently seeing together on a weekly basis, like, yeah, all right. Now they're in an R rated movie. Great. Um, I hope the jokes are funny. I hope it doesn't feel like, hey, this is just 21 Jump Street again with, you know, new thing. But at the same time, I doubt I'll not sit there and be like, oh, this isn't funny. I think I'll probably laugh quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, uh, Let's Be Cops opens August 13th this summer. 
I think that's the is that the same as Expendables? I hope so, right? Because why not? You know, just load it up all in one weekend. <clears throat> all right, let's move on. Let's, let's get away from this, Abe. Let's get away from yeah. this stuff. Let's get away from these trailers. Let's talk about our main review for the main film, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. You're going to want to see us, Oscorp. Yet you under surveillance. Why? Isn't that the question of the day? Nothing is what I thought it was. I once told you that secrets have a cost. The truth does, too. My name is Richard Parker. I have discovered what Oscorp was going to use my research for. What is all this? The future. We have plans for you, Peter Parker. You wanted to be the hero. Need a hand? Now you gotta pay the price. We have the power now. We can change the world. All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which picks up with Peter Parker graduating from high school and dealing with the drama of his relationship with Gwen Stacy, as well as the various crime taking place in New York City. While Gwen may be a bit more difficult to figure out, his latest threats include a lonely man turned supercharged heavy, Electro, played by Jamie Foxx, and a foreign best friend, Harry Osborn, played by Dane DeHaan, with plans in mind to keep himself from succumbing to some kind of disease. Of course, Spider-Man can only do so much to keep everyone safe, so this is currently his biggest challenge. Jordan, you're a fan of The Amazing Spider-Man, as we've had you on for our first episode involving Spider-Man. What did you think of The Amazing Spider-Man 2? I was mildly disappointed. Uh, Like you said, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. Um, I've really enjoyed The Amazing Spider-Man. I can recognize its faults, but I hated the Raimi trilogy so much that it was just nice to see at least the main cast really embody those characters. And I think that stays for the second one. Uh, Peter, Gwen, and May are pretty much pitch perfect for what I'm looking for from a Spider-Man movie. That said, the villain stuff, I I didn't think it was overcrowded, like some people have said, but I was definitely 50-50 on the performances of the villains. Um, Some of it would have felt more at home in a Raimi Spider-Man film or a Schumacher Batman film. Hmm. That said, the stuff I liked, I really, really liked. Tyler? Uh, I really did not care for the first Amazing Spider-Man, so my uh, my expectations were insanely low, and the film certainly rose above that. Uh, to a certain extent, I don't think it could. I don't think it could not have. Um, and so there were things that I was uh, really, I don't know if I'd say affected by, but like stuff that that I found to be very effective. Um, it is not perfect, and with every passing day, when my mind returns to it, I think of something else I don't like. Um, but there are some moments in there that are quite powerful. There are some fights in there that are a lot of fun, um, and so uh, I liked it. Uh, I liked it more than the first film. Now, admittedly, that is not saying much, but uh, but yeah, by and large, I'd probably I'd say I'm mostly positive on it, mostly. Kind of like Tyler, I wasn't a huge fan of the first Amazing Spider-Man, so my expectations were kind of low, too. Um, there are bits and pieces in this movie that, that did exceed some of the expectations, and I think that's mostly when Peter Par- or Andrew Garfield is in Spider-Man's character, um, you know, his sarcasm and his wit when he's fighting his villains. Uh, and also the, the Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker stuff, which Mark Webb has shown that he can make romantic or sad romantic comedies 
with 500 Days of Summer, but uh, I thought that it was thematically and tonally uneven. It starts out with uh, a flashback sequence with Peter's dad, and then it gets into some goofy stuff with some of the origins of some of the villains, such as Jamie Foxx's Electro character, and it's uh, it's ridiculous because they make him carry all these plans around, and he's got this terrible hair, and they have stupid music when he plays, or when he's oh, walking really? on the street. I... Abe, I thought he was great as Edward Nygma in Batman Forever. Yeah, exactly. No, that's what I was thinking. And I was also thinking of like the Batman animated series where the guy with the train and Batman ruins all his paper, so he gets upset at Batman for that single reason, and he stops all the time to get Bruce Wayne and Batman. But anyway, uh, yeah, I thought that it was weird just in... Like, they're trying to be serious with some of this relationship stuff, which I thought was was very, very good. Um, but then you have all these villains that are just very comic booky, And the, the big takeaway that I got was this is kind of how those early comic movies were back in, like, I don't know, the, the pre-Iron Man Marvel. And it's kind of what you expected. But I think that we've come a long ways from that, and I was kind of disappointed in that fact. So... Yeah, it's just totally uneven for me, and some of the stuff just didn't work for me. I um, I had fun with this movie. I, I'm happy to say that I had fun with this movie. I, what I I was fine with the Amazing Spider-Man. I thought it was just like an average um, origin story that just happened to have Spider-Man in it, as opposed to like a lower tiered kind of superhero. So I was like, all right, well, Spider-Man's kind of he's kind of he's kind of the same as everybody now. But this one, I mean, it's I would say it's slightly better. I, I still don't think it's like it's not an amazing Spider-Man movie, but it's it's a decent Spider-Man movie. Um, but mainly, I just thought it was colorful fun. It felt like a comic book to me. I thought Mark Webb, along with having the kind of character work done in terms of kind of Gwen and Peter and even Aunt May, I thought he did a good job of making a film that not only has this kind of grounded relationship aspect to it, but also one that fits into the realm of what a comic book looks like. It felt a lot to me like Angley's Hulk. Um, for what it was trying to do, the lot, there's a lot of kind of the use of the, the way the use of color, the use of kind of how he structures the story that feels like a kind of Spider-Man arc that spans a couple, a few comics. It it felt like that to me. I I agree that it it does have the semblance of kind of the '90s superhero mold as opposed to what we're seeing now, but that doesn't really bother me all that much. I did I. I didn't find it too much. I didn't find it to be a mess. I know a lot of people want to say it's a mess and there's too many. I don't know where the too many villains things comes from because there's you know two of them. But right. uh, it, the um, the biggest problem it has is that it's just try. It's even though we already had an origin story, this film still feels like an origin for you know the other six movies that they're planning to make afterwards. That's there's there's a lot or whatever. I mean they're not going to stop making these movies. Right. Um, it just there's a lot of setup for other things, then it just makes the story bigger and bigger when it doesn't really need to be. It could have just been a singular story with a little bit more focus, but instead it's this kind of misguided effort to be also the setup for, you know, the Sinister Six movie and Spider-Man 3 and Spider-Man 4 and whatever other spinoffs that you have because there's all these various people that they're giving nods to. is like, hey, guess who exists in this universe? This person. And they're taking a lot of time to do that, but... Moving away from that, I still I like this movie in general. I do think Andrew Garfield makes for a good Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. I think him and Emma Stone have a great chemistry together. I like Sally Field as Odd Bay. I even I don't think Jamie Foxx is bad. I think the the villains have this weird. They don't have like arcs. They're just like they they enter, 
they have a reason for existing and then they turn evil and that's pretty much it. There's no real redemption yeah. for them. There's nothing. They're just kind of like, now we're evil. That's the that's that's, that's it for them. But it's not even about or yeah. it's not even about uh, redemption. It's just they don't have anything that is beyond what you just described. Because Jamie Foxx's character, he's enamored with Spider Man. Because Spider Man's like, Hey dude, you're my guy. He saved his and life. He's like, yeah, he saved his life. He's like, Hey, you're my guy and then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, Spider Man's my buddy and and then for some whatever reason he goes into this little uh this little monologue with this ridiculous doctor. He's like, I'm gonna make a world without power, without you know, without whatever, and well, without Spider-Man. I was like, where did that come from? It's not for no reason. I mean, Sp- Spider-Man publicly humiliated him and took away all his attention. He has his reasons. He, he didn't, just he didn't mean reasons. to. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah that, that's misunderstandings. Yeah. That's, well, uh, uh, that's actually something I really loved. Without spoiling things, that first encounter between Electro and Spider-Man, I really loved that as the audience we could go, uh, Pete, that's really not what you should be doing right now. It sounds like a great idea what you're trying to talk him down from the ledge, if you will, but it is not going to work in this particular case. And I really actually did enjoy that first interaction a lot. I agree, and I also enjoy. I haven't. I didn't mention the action. I think the action is pretty spectacular in this movie. Um, I <laughs> what we were saying about that particular scene, Jordan. I agree. I th- I do. I do like how that interaction plays out, which is followed by this kind of really unique sort of scene where you see spider-man's powers coming into play that's something i enjoyed about this movie in general actually you see a lot of spider-man doing spider-man things and using his and fighting general crime which is something you wanted to see jordan right like you want you like as much as you're not a huge on like seeing villains at play you like seeing heroes just do kind of basic heroics like spider-man salt you know stopping crime and bullying i, I think i said it with the bullies. first with the first movie yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think I said it with the first movie, but I'll reiterate it here. Like, if Mark Webb wanted to direct a Spider-Man movie that was just this Peter and this Gwen going on dates with Aunt May hanging around and no Spider-Man whatsoever, I would love that. This is the most cliched hiding place you could have chosen. This is oh, I'm this sorry. is the stupidest hiding didn't place. Take us to the Bahamas of listen, hiding places. Listen, you just kissed me. Right. How'd you like it? I felt a little bit rushed. I know. This is the plan. You get to the elevator. I'm going to distract him, okay? Or if it's just like little interstitials of him, you know, doing the general crime, like you said, because that stuff for me all worked in in both movies, Uh, the Peter, Gwen, May, and just general crime stuff. It's where you get into the villains. And yes, I know Spider-Man has a, you know, a world-renowned rogues gallery, but for the most part, as a huge Spider-Man fan, and I've been reading the comics for like 15 years now, I'm really generally not a huge fan of his villains. So that's always, for me, going to be the weakest area, I think. And certainly it's one of those situations where I do enjoy the action and I enjoyed everything else. But again, I'm, I'm kind of caught up on this villain thing because you meet Harry Osborn maybe a third of the way into the film or something. And all of a sudden he's just like, hey, I'm, I'm dying. I need uh, something from Spider-Man and just goes too quickly for some of the villains. And so I, I everything else was pretty well developed and, and well fleshed out. And I probably would have enjoyed that much more. I think if they were a little bit more focused on a singular villain or, you know, maybe like a villain that would lead up to something else, which they sort of do, but more beefed up, that'd be more enjoyable. And I would have taken away more. But I did like the setup for what's going to happen later, uh, just because, you know, some of these villains from the, uh, the backgrounds that they're uh, showing you when some guy's walking through Osborne Corp. Oscorp. I I don't know. I it, it wasn't that great. Tyler, you have any thoughts on Dane DeHaan as a? Yeah, I re- I uh, I really liked him uh, a lot. In fact, I liked I like the performances of both uh, he and um, 
Jamie Foxx. Um, what I will say, though, is that the reason that people say that a movie has too many villains, it, it, it doesn't often have to do with there being the number of villains there are. It has to do with a film not understanding how to proportion everything. Uh, not understanding how much time to devote to this person and this person. Uh, and you, I mean, you already said it by saying like, okay, uh, we are given in Electro's, in Electro's case, like, okay, we're given a perfunctory backstory and then, uh, a very, a very fast change. And then like a huge paradigm shift in his philosophy. And then when he is eventually, I will say dispatched, uh, my first, I was like, Oh, and I don't mean to say, oh, that's it, because he did pose a genuine threat. I don't mean to imply that, but like, it's like, oh, I guess, I guess we're, uh, I guess we're done with him. Right. And, uh, you know, it's like, and, and I don't want to use this rather hackneyed line, but it's like, oh, Electro, we hardly knew you. Like, I, I didn't know you at all. Uh, and then with, uh, with Harry Osborne, it frustrated me that, uh, by the time, I feel like they rushed into his becoming, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say he's the green guy who he becomes and the fact that we see him uh, as that. But like they rush into it so fast and then we are allowed one scene of this. It's just his character was I I think the performance is very, very good, Um, especially just the anger that's just right below the surface and sometimes, you know, not. Uh, And so I like that a lot. But um but I feel like everything about him was just conceived poorly. It's a character that should have been set up at least a little bit in the first film. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with best friends, it's like, oh, we're, we were best friends when we were 11. <laughs> right. Really? So I guess what you mean to say is you're not best friends anymore. <laughs> um, you know, when my father sent me away, I tried to forget everything about this place. I guess that kind of included you. You ain't got to explain anything to me, man. The boat got dumped. Because it just, and then suddenly it's like, oh, he's my best buddy. He's like, no, he was your best buddy. And then seven years of nothing happened. And, and that will have an effect, you know, and it's just, and I don't so, think it doesn't play out that way though. I feel, I feel like the, it, you don't get the sense that Peter Parker really has any friends at this point, and it's given who he is and what he's been, even like in the first movie. He doesn't see he seems to have no friends except for like Gwen Stacy at some point. Eventually, once he like kind of wraps her, so you get to this film, and I get that there's a logic to how this film was made versus how well the stories were conceived. Where you made a first film not knowing what was going to be in the next film necessarily. It's like, oh, we have Harry Osborn. We might as well insert him in and give him some backstory. But you have to establish some kind of friendship. I, th- I feel like Mark Webb, his his work with kind of character relationships kind of benefited the fact that we didn't have a first a first instance of Harry the, f- the first time around in the first film to have him set up properly. So he's do- doing the best he can with this kind of strained relationship between him and Peter that hasn't been around for a while and then suddenly he's jumped back in here. I, I mean, I, I like the performances enough to, to kind of give give you know take that buy-in that, oh, right, there were friends before. I can... See where but that's, that comes from. that's the thing. If you're going to, in the same film, if you're going to have Peter's best friend turn into his worst enemy, 
the, you just gotta you need to allow more time, more scenes with the two of them. Um, I think the scene where Harry eventually meets Spider-Man for the first time, I think that was very good uh, in and of itself, but I feel like it needed to be more earned uh, with maybe just more scenes of the two of them. And that's and that's the thing is part of me just feels like I understand you need you might need another villain just to keep, you know, just to keep action scenes going. But um, I don't remember who mentioned it, but the idea of like I'd be okay with this being a just a movie mostly about relationships. Like we see Spider-Man fighting just general crime throughout the film. And then we see Peter Parker's relationship with uh, Gwen that's developing. You see his, his friendship with uh, Harry Osborn developing, you know, deepening and that sort of thing. And that, so that this little, this little, um, I was going to say threesome, but that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) But, um, but that this, like triangle of like friendship and affection and trust and and stability and support uh, comes crashing down at the end. Uh, but that's the thing. Like we, ha- you know, we have to spend time with Electro. We have to do this so that by the time Harry becomes the Green Goblin, it does feel rather perfunctory and it just doesn't. It just wasn't nearly as satisfying as I wanted it to be. I want to spend. I also want to spend a little bit of time with who Harry is now that he is this villain. And I don't know, it just, you know, I I don't mean, I don't want to necessarily just compare it to the first trilogy, especially because that third one's terrible, but, but there is something to be said for, uh, taking your time. Like part of me feels like, all right, I, I know they, they don't want to do, they don't want it to be just a mirror of the first trilogy, but part of me feels like, all right, make Norman Osborn the villain in this. Um, and so that we at least are introduced to the Osborns as a family. And then you can have Harry take up his mantle. But then of course that's what they did in the first trilogy. And so I'm sure they don't want to echo that, but it's just, there's a reason that it worked fairly well in the first trilogy. Um, so that when Harry Osborn finally turns on Peter, it's a bigger deal. Um, but anyway, I've been talking for a while, but like, that's, that's, that's what people mean when they say that there's too many villains is that it's just, they're not juggled the right way. There's no real sense of proportion. And it just, uh, that ultimately I think was the thing that was frustrating, especially because I thought there were good performances given on the part of Jamie, on the parts of, uh, Jamie Foxx and Dane DeHaan. So, you know, it's, it's not perfect. And, and also it's like, oh, they're setting up a Sinister Six movie. Oh, that's going to be great. I understand. (laughs) You know, I understand you don't need to develop Mysterio or the Vulture or anything like that. But Craven is a solid villain that you already that, you know, that because they're they're incorporating him into a villain into a movie with six. Sorry, with five other villains, you know, they're not going to give him his due. And that is unfortunate. But that's the thing they've. They feel like they have to hit these beats. All right, we've had the Green Goblin. What's what's another big Spider-Man thing? Oh, the Sinister Six. Okay, let's do that. And then my hope is that by the time they get to Venom, and they eventually will, that they will have him be the sole villain of that film. Well, he gets his own movie. He's got he's got the Venom movie or whatever. That's part of the the Sony plan of developing their universe, where they have Spider-Man three and four going on. Then they're also going to have a Venom movie. Then they're also going to have a Sinister Six movie. 
which are apparently supposed to come out <laughs> sometime in the near in the very near future. Those are the ones that are like moving ahead. I and didn't know. Up on everyone, huh? And Drew Goddard is helming the Sinister Six one, right? So that gives me quite a bit of hope. It, uh, it, yes, maybe depending on who's writing it. But I do like the idea. Now I didn't know about it until just now, but I do like the idea of giving the Sinister Six their own movie. I almost feel like they should get a movie before they encounter Spider-Man, or at least he's a supporting part, and then they have the next Spider-Man movie be this just maybe just like a two hour long battle. I think that'd be amazing because the other film had done the setup work, but, uh, but I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I kind of like that they're really committing to the Spider-Man universe, but part of me feels like if they're going to do that, they could have taken more time with some pretty crucial things in this film, specifically the relationship with Harry. That's, I mean, that's the pro that's like the main problem in this movie it's that it's trying to be both hey it's a spider-man movie also it's i mean it's iron man too that's that's what it comes down to like it's trying to be both like a separate story as well as this tie into all these other things that are going to happen down the line now yeah. that said iron man 2 for what it is i find it to be enjoyable um yeah i don't not, hate it i don't hate it like most people do yeah i i think there's enough going on performance wise and even action and visual wise i think there's a lot of just very interesting stuff going on in there to go with the kind of misguided efforts to tie it into everything else because it has to serve as this kind of interstitial movie. That's largely what I think of Amazing Spider-Man 2. I do think it has like a lot of issues in terms of like, hey, we got to introduce these things and here's these people and hopefully we're doing just enough to get it working. But at the same time, I still had fun with this movie because I do think the performances are strong and I do think the the action is creative. I do like I I feel like Mark Webb has done a fine job of kind of evolving more as both an action director as well as this kind of character based director where you have him doing some interesting things, as I said, with Spider Man as a you know, as a superhero, doing super heroic type things and dealing with different kinds of villains and this time around you have this person that's all made up of electricity and that's like that's that's a that's a neat visual thing to see on screen. And you have the goblin who obviously you don't get that much time with, but he's there. And it's, <laughs> it's, and, he, and of course we haven't talked about Paul Giamatti uh, Paul Giamatti as uh, the, the cameo rhino at the beginning and end of this movie, which I, which I thought was fine. I, yeah, there's nothing, well, there's nothing yeah. to that. I mean, is I, I mean, beyond like say what you will about Paul Giamatti's performance, because it's, it's so over the top that I don't even, I don't even know where the top is anymore. Once you get to Paul Giamatti <laughs> in this movie, but I mean, it, 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 ser it serves as a, ni as a nice bookend to the bookends to the film where you have him opening and closing it as this rhino character. But he he's not one that you're laying out because, hey, we need a backstory and all this. It's just more of like, no, he's just villain of the week kind of thing. Like, oh, let's get him. And there he is. There's only one good rhino story ever published. So it's not like you even need his backstory for it. That comes I, yeah, I, that's why I'm like, <laughs> what, 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 that's what that's the thing I was least looking forward to. Is like, what are we going to over rhino? Like what? We already have all the other things. What else? And there's like nothing to him. So well, he's that <laughs> he's that perfect interstitial villain, like you said, who can just be, hey, Spider-Man's still been fighting crime in between movie one and two and movie two and three. He's fighting these minor, you know, minor-ish villains that are recognizable, but it doesn't really matter what their backstory is or their motivation or any of that. They're bad guys. They've got a weird power or a weird suit, whatever. Here you go. Here's a cool fight scene. That's all you really need from him. Um, I, I want to go back real quick, though, to the comparison to Iron Man 2 because I think that's apt and I, I would agree with it. Um, but I, I think it's also important to remember, at least in the, you know, the Marvel Studios framework, while Iron Man 2 was hampered somewhat by its – universe building 
mm-hmm. that universe building did pay off in the long run. And I, and I at least hope that the same thing happens here where, yes, there's a lot of extra stuff thrown in in this movie that may detract from the main story. But later on, we'll appreciate that because we won't have to have that world building in movie three or four or five. It'll already be there and we can really focus on those stories. At least that's the hope. It'd be great, though. Yeah, it'd be great for that to be the kind of result. And my the only like setback I have is that like I feel like Marvel, for lack of a better term, there's more heart. It seems that it's and like I don't I'm not as cynical as other people are about Spider-Man franchise. The fact that it was rebooted so quickly just because of the you know basic logic of we need to keep this thing because it makes us a lot of money. So we have to make a movie quick enough. But I don't think that Webb and Garfield and Stone and all the others, you know, heavily involved in this movie are going in without, like, caring about what's going on. I can't say the same for Avi, producer Avi Arad, who I think makes all, like, the bad decisions that have been frequent in every Spider-Man movie. Every yeah. interview I've ever seen with him is just painful. Yeah. <laughs> or he's like, I get this character. No one else gets this character. It's like, no, from everything I've heard you say, you really don't. And that's that's why I have where you have like Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi writing the screenplay, and it's the same issue I have with a lot of their screenplays, where they just kind of stuff it with a lot of things, and like some of that's kind of neat, but other things are just like, hey, the studio felt like this would be cool, so we wrote a scene about this, like that. It just you have this, you have on one side this kind of, hey, we're building a universe, and Spider-Man's great, isn't that cool? And then on the other side, you have, well, look how cool these things will be to market, and that it. <laughs> It's hard to, like, not look at that side, even though I don't want to. I just want to, like, like a Spider-Man movie. And it, so I, I do hope that in the long run, it's like, hey, they made a lot of decisions. They seemed a little short-sighted at the, at the time, but, hey, it kind of worked out to have this giant, this giant, like, universe of villains and other characters. It all looks great because we have they have so much money to spend on Spider-Man so they can keep making the money, but I, I don't know. I, I, I love, I'd love in the, you know, the next five years to be like, look at all these great Spider-Man movies that came out thanks to this all this world building that we did earlier on. But, and, and, you know, we harp on some of the so. bigger world building, but I was actually pleasantly surprised by how subtle some of the world building was. Things like Alistair Smythe and Felicia Hardy, they're in there, but unless you know that that's important for later, those characters had a reason to be in this film. You know, Alistair Smythe is there to, uh, to belittle Max Dillon and to, you know, show you what his life is like. Felicia Hardy, you know, somebody needed to be Harry's assistant to help with that exposition. Might as well be a character who will be important later. And she's not like taking over the film or something. They don't even give her a last name. So that, that kind of stuff I think was very well done, whereas some of the other world building was more obvious and let's put a team together type stuff. Yeah, really, really looking forward to B.J. Novak, you know, fighting Spider-Man <laughs> with Spider Slayers. Yeah, I think he would actually be pretty good as in that role. You know, I really hope they get Jameson right. Like they've like oddly enough. Yeah, they ru- they rush into the uh, into the Green Goblin, but they're really teasing out that J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> like it just it just astounds me. Well, I mean, he's one of the few things from the Raimi trilogy that really is a hard act to follow. Like, yeah, you know, I, when, it, when it comes to Power Ranger Goblin or Skateboard Goblin, you can redo that pretty easily without taking anybody off. Jameson was pretty much perfect. Yeah. I mean, and it certainly fit with the general tone of those films. Oddly, I mean, obviously, you know, these films are a little a little darker, grittier, and in theory, more realistic. And so... It'd be interesting to see how does this cigar chomping news, you know, stereotypical 1960s newspaper editor, like, <laughs> how will he translate into this world? Kind I'm very. He doesn't fit 
though. I mean, look look at like Giamatti or look at Jamie Jamie Foxx pre-Electra. Like, I I think there's a I think there's a lot of room for kind of bumbling comedic things to go on in these movies. And yeah, Jonesen's not bumbling necessarily, but I, I I think there's. I, I well, think there's room for this kind of thing to happen without it. Well, just because betraying. they're in there doesn't mean they necessarily fit. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't think the movies. Yeah. I don't think the movies. The, the tone of these Spider-Man movies are above having that kind of character. Boy, they Can sure we have are. Lawrence Fishburne play him as a slightly more angry and uh, funny version of Perry White. I think he's already kind of doing that on Hannibal, actually. <laughs> and let's not forget Predators. Um, Oh my God! Oh, yeah. So can I uh, can I change the subject to something uh, that kind of <clears throat> again? I mostly like the movie. Uh, there is some stuff that I found very powerful, specifically the handling of what we all know happens to Gwen Stacy. Um, but uh, I did want to bring up something that kind of bothers me, and uh, it's uh, Andrew Garfield's performance. Um, I really enjoyed him in the first film, specifically. The scenes between he and uh, Emma Watson. Sorry, uh, Emma Watson. Pardon me. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mighty Granger. Um, yeah, she's back, and she's attracted <laughs> to Spider Man. Um, but the uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Yes, thank you. Um, I thought the two had a great deal of chemistry in the first film, and and you could just tell, especially Andrew Garfield, he was trying to be very in the moment and just kind of let the inherent nervousness of the situation kind of uh, dictate how he acted. Uh, And it seemed to flow naturally in the first film. Whereas in this film, this is what I came away thinking. Uh, Has everybody here seen On the Waterfront? I have. I have not. Okay. Uh, There's a scene that has become somewhat famous in the lore of uh, film in which um, Marlon Brando is talking with uh, uh, Ava Marie Saint as they're walking through a park, and she has these little gloves, and she uh, she's kind of messing with them, and then she drops one, which is to say the actress drops one. And rather than stop the scene, they kept going, and Marlon Brando picked up the glove and then starts putting it on himself. Uh, people really marvel at, like, oh, it's it's an ad-libbed moment that kind of that oddly enough speaks more volumes about the character than any scripted moment could have. It's a really nice moment. And it seemed as though, but you can only really have one, maybe two of those moments in a movie. It seemed as though that's what Andrew Garfield was trying to capture in every scene with Emma Stone, whether it be something that's kind of comedic or something that's kind of serious. He seemed to really be trying to recapture the organic quality of the first uh, of the uh, chemistry in the first film and it just felt like he was trying to force something like you I don't know it just the character the the performance seemed where it seemed organic in the first film in this film it seemed just mannered and twitchy and like he was so badly trying to be in the moment that to me it wound up being a surprisingly stylized performance to the extent that, like, you know, I brought I brought up on the waterfront, like, if Marlon Brando just kept trying to find moments like that, whether they were there or not, then it would eventually get distracting. And I like Andrew Garfield. I think he's a good choice for Spider-Man. But for some reason in those scenes, like, uh, it just, it didn't work for me. 
I see where you're. I see where that's coming from. I can't say that I had an issue with. I can't say that it like took me out of anything. But at the same time, I do. I do recognize the things that you're bringing up, and there. <laughs> I, I. I don't know if it has to do with like the first film where he's getting to know Emma Stone as an actor, and now you know this movie they're they're you know a couple, and they're also yeah. still acting in this movie together, and if that kind of adds this different subtext to it, or if Mark Webb's just like just let him go, and as long as they're reading the lines, it's good. And just let it play as natural as possible. I don't know what the case necessarily is, but I I do see where you're coming from. I just I can't say that it bugged me necessarily. I said bugged. Yeah, I know. I was gonna make an arachnid joke, but it didn't work out. At the same time, though, Dane DeHaan, who I like, and I think he's fine in this film, he seemed to have a lot of things going on in his performance that were that felt like he was that he felt like he was felt like he was acting more than more than he was just kind of be, being. If that makes any sense. <laughs> Oh, I can't argue with that, but I, I find it more – oddly enough, I find it more acceptable in that type of character mm-hmm. um, because, you know, as as is made clear, the character is very rich, very entitled, very angry. Like there's a lot of things to layer on, and and also he is a villain, and he's going to be, and so I'm, I'm more okay with it in, in that. Um also, I don't have another performance of his to compare it to, whereas Andrew Garfield, I have the first film to compare it to. Um, sorry, when I say I don't have a, com- a performance to compare it to, I've seen other Dane DeHaan performances. I mean, I don't have other performances of his, of Harry Osborn, to compare it to and say, oh, he's really layering, he's really laying it on thick in this movie where he wasn't really in the last movie. That's this fair. is the only one I have to go to go on. and. Oh, but- uh, He's, I was more okay with it. He's more or less doing the Prince version of Chronicle as opposed to the Popper version of Chronicle <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> I was 50-50 on DeHaan as uh, as Harry Osborne in that area of the role. Some of the scenes I liked, others, it was really his performance where I was like, ah, I'm not sure I'm buying that delivery. But when he got to the Goblin, I liked the look, um, and he has a great Goblin laugh. But his performance as the Goblin really didn't work for me at all. Something about his voice coming out of that character just <laughs> didn't work. His slow drawl. <laughs> I, I'd be more curious. Well, see, unbrushed teeth. When I want to, I'd be curious to see where he kind of goes in future films involving Goblin characters and how he evolves from there. Because yeah. I do think I, I, it comes down to the same kind of thing. Where I mean, he can only get a... better at wingsuit flying, <laughs> right? <laughs> But the thing that I had with Dane DeHaan was, I think he's a really good actor, and I've seen him in Chronicle and... Um, Place Beyond the Pines. Place Beyond the Pines, yeah. And the thing that I found interesting about his character was just, he's kind of, a, what you guys had said, he's entitled, he's rich, whatever, but he uh, he also seems to have bursts of extreme strength and energy, and I was like, eh, I guess I'll go with it, but I don't really believe him taking out two guards with a taser, and then... <laughs> Yeah, that that hey, seems like a plot He was sent to boarding school. That's all they do there. <laughs> I have seen Archer, and that is all that Archer does now. So He yeah. had, like, a Bruce Wayne story going on. He's, he got sent away. <laughs> by, he, he trained by all his, over the place. By his father, Chris Cooper. Hung out with the supermodels, apparently. Yeah, he did the supermodel thing. <laughs> he doesn't do complicated, that's for sure. That's for sure, yeah. So I really was... liked... Uh... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so while I was 50-50 on um, Harry 
I was also 50-50 on Max Dillon with that performance. I thought the scenes where he was by himself was really goofy and felt like it would have, like I said before, it would have belonged in the Raimi films or in a Schumacher Batman film, especially with that score with the flute and everything like that. Scenes where he was with other people, I really enjoyed. Um, I thought his, his interactions with Peter and with Gwen, uh, with Smythe and stuff, all that worked. When he yep. became Electro, as opposed to the Goblin, where I didn't really buy that, I, I actually really enjoyed him as Electro. He had a few really cornball, again, Raimi Schumacher-esque lines, but aside from that, the performance, the way they integrated the music and the lights into that, it was a very cool visual power, uh, the effect they put on his voice, all that actually really worked for me. Yeah, me too. I, I, I found him to be a very... Uh, Jamie Foxx actually can be a surprisingly imposing actor on screen. And so uh, so to have a character that, admittedly, yeah, I don't like any of like the, the nerdy, uh, I don't know, just the, the nerdy, weak this, character. Yeah. yeah, like, I don't necessarily like that. Um, but he certainly does incorporate that into the Electro performance in the sense that this is a character who for the first time has people paying attention to him, scared of him, and that he has any kind of control or power in his own life. And he seems to be really re reveling in that. And, and that comes through loud and clear. And I love it. I think that, I think when he's nerdy and goofy, that everything about that just smacks of artificial, but it at least, it at least seems to inform where he goes eventually and where he goes eventually. I like a lot. Um, you know, that, that monologue, where he's talking about a world without Spider-Man, I may think that the writing is not very good, but his performance is great. It's might I would I go so far as say it's electric. <laughs> You're welcome. Shocking. I'm sure, I, I, uh, I, oh, shocking! Shocker, oh, yeah. shocker, <laughs> Shocker's not in this movie. Um, I, I he just needed he just needed a good outlet for his performance. <laughs> I can I can agree the performance that, flowed well though. I can agree that the bumbling stuff is like whatever, like because it's it's basically because it's Jamie Foxx and it's like I know who Jamie Foxx is enough to be like okay, you're just acting like this weird person version of not you, and it took it took me out of it just because I'm never believing the fact that Jamie Foxx is this kind of lonely dweeb guy, right. um, especially especially when he has these like these improv lines in an elevator with Gwen where he's like oh yeah I got a party tonight got a lot of a lot of celebrities. <laughs> Uh, like it, it's like it's like that. Where's this coming from? It's like now you're just like doing your like old early stand-up routine mixed with this hair that you have on your character, and your teeth that eventually get teeth. fixed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Through electric eels. Yeah, that that's doesn't that. bother me. I mean, in, no, in that's movie that's great. That, that, is, that is the comic book, that is comic book right there. It's, oh no, but I was saying like his his teeth get fixed by electric eels. Yeah, so like yeah. <laughs> but yeah, once he does become electro, I do think I think there is a strength to his performance that kind of really works well. I'm curious how. I'm curious what was done, what what like what he was put through to like do all this of his character design and all that. But regardless, I do think that he lent it a certain kind of quality that made it made it fit, made it fit in this this movie for what it's trying to do with the Electro character, who is way more powerful. Electro is never really like a huge villain in Spider-Man lore, is he, Jordan? Um, He has been powered up considerably in the last five, ten years. Mm -hmm. um, and especially, you also got to count the Ultimate version, which a lot of 
this movie takes its its influence from. Um, he, he started out just being able to shoot lightning bolts, basically. But these days, yeah, he can travel through electrical lines and do the kind of um, electric teleporting type stuff he does in this movie. I mean, it wasn't like it was just added for this movie. Like I said, it was added in the last five, ten years or so. He's become quite the considerable threat. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring up the score by Hans Zimmer. <laughs> uh, right. The, Hans, sorry, really Hans Zimmer. When it's weird. Hans Zimmer, the, the, the Magnificent Six, and Pharrell. He had all these people doing the score. Um, did, who liked the score? I liked most of it. There was certainly some, well, not to be punny, but there were certainly some notes that did not ring true. Uh, the flute stuff with Max Dillon, some of the themes sounded a little television-y, but I, I actually, I know some people complain about this, but I liked the dubstep. I thought that fit the character very well. The, for lack of a better term, Tesla coil stuff towards the end, I thought was actually kind of a cool way to visualize that. And uh, the... Yeah, all, all of the Max Dillon music is really what stuck out for me, and most of it I liked. Or the electro music, I should say. Yeah, I, I liked some of it. I didn't like all of it. Uh, and again, the testicle of things was cool, but um, his mixing of the chanting and like the the voices in the head kind of thing with Max Dillon and whatever else, I was like, what is going on here? Like, Is he hearing voices, or is this just part of the soundtrack? See, that's, a, that's something I really liked, because I thought it was a clever way to incorporate someone's kind of inner monologue into the music. It was, it was like, it's... It's not it's it's not him like having thoughts like within his own. It's it's being kind of shown to you through music. I thought that was a really interesting way to do. I just I like the score in general. I know because yeah. there's people knocking the score. And I'm like, oh my god! If you're not gonna score that, I don't know what to do. And I, I was like, I was like dubstep, dude. Dubstep is over, Hans Zimmer. But it works for that character. <laughs> it works for electro quite well. I really. Yeah. Because it was always incorporated with with what you were actually seeing on screen. It wasn't just dubstep song being played in the background. It was dubstep effects being applied to the visuals. Yeah, which I can appreciate. Yeah, it really worked. It really worked for me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Just because, like, just incorporate because it, it's not immediately clear that we're hearing words and that the words are the character. And it just and it has this nice this you know this nice flow to it where it's less a it's less conscious thoughts he's having and more just a consistent refrain that is just always in the back of his mind and sometimes in the front certainly but just just it's there it's pulsing it's keeping him going just this angry uh, bitter refrain of people don't care about me and and that sort of thing and it's just it really you know i i could see it not working for people but frankly i was just excited that it was something new yes i agree that's a large part of it because i mean we see you know 18 superhero movies a year now and it's nice to hear something that's a little bit different for a change couple that with what I think is a really rousing hero score for spider-man i like it gets you going here and like him kind of in action and that kind of the way he, I don't know why they I don't know if like they had bad blood of what was it James Horner for the first time around but bringing in Hans Zimmer and him actually you know trying and like doing something different <laughs> that didn't sound like Inception again like I I I enjoyed that I enjoyed that they was able to do something like that I'll tell you one thing though there's a scene where uh, Peter Parker throws on his uh, earbuds and uh, starts playing a song and then that song underscores a uh, montage of him mm -hmm. I don't know putting up a bulletin board and um the minute like he turned on the music like everybody in my theater started laughing like the, ch <laughs> the, the choice of music seem it did seem almost 
comical because it is like the essence of the type of music that would be played under that montage. But it doesn't seem like the kind of music that Peter Parker would listen to. Um, I don't know. It's, that that part seemed very strange to me. And certainly people in the theater like, I don't know, I, I don't like necessarily like to go by like gauge by people's reaction in the theater, especially in my theater where people were throwing beach balls around before the uh, movie started. So it's like, all right, well, no, thank you. Um, but, uh, but in this case, you know, laughter is a fairly involuntary response and everybody in the theater is very on board with the movie. They were excited to see it. They were willing to forgive things. And so when that came about, it's like, Oh boy, this, uh, I think this musical cue was a misstep. It's the kind of thing that leans on the, studio choice side versus what i think actually works where you have like well it's spider-man so we got to have a hit soundtrack let's pop let's get some guys in here and, absolutely uh, and that's that's that, one that of the ones kind of indie type stuff though i mean if i remember correctly and this is uh, i i'm pretty sure i do uh peter parker's favorite musical <laughs> performer is um elvis costello so that kind of indie or rock type thing for this didn't take me out of it that does kind of feel like what this character would listen to to me but I don't really listen to the radio, so I have no idea if it's like some big top forty song right now or not. So. It just, it, that's what it sounded like to me. I'm it not, is. I was, okay. Yeah, this this song yeah. sounded bland and uninteresting, whereas Elvis Costello is very eclectic and and maybe not so much anymore. And that he's working with Burt Bacharach all the time. But like, um, <laughs> it's actually even that even that's pretty good. Like it's just Elvis Costello has a very definitive sound, whereas this song could have been from any number of modern artists. And is, in my opinion, immediately forgettable. If I can turn the conversation away from music for a moment, sure. I just want to thank this for being the first Spider-Man movie of all five of them now to not have the BS scene where a bunch of New Yorkers band together and save Spider-Man. They, they, well, it didn't they, work they, the first time and it hasn't do. worked any the four times since. They do have that as the end, as the end of the movie. That's a bunch of New Yorkers standing around, and they have that in every movie. That's, that's... Well, they're watching Spider-Man, but there's no, we, we're New Yorkers, we stand together, and we help Spider-Man in his moment where he can't save the day himself, which has happened every time, except for this one. Yes, there's people watching stuff, but that's that's just, hey, there's a train wreck, you need to see it. I mean, I don't want to spoil things, but I wouldn't say that that movie's short on it. I would say it's not. they're not as directly involved as they were in the first movie specifically, and Amazing Spider-Man specifically, I think. The, you know. There is a sequence where real people solve some of their own problems, but they're not saving Spider-Man from a supervillain. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And actually, there's the only version of that I ever liked, and I didn't even really like it that much, was in Raimi's Spider-Man 2, where everybody's in that subway car, and they just like, you're going to have to go through me. And then he does, and then Dr. Octopus does with ease. Yeah, he's, he's just like, just yeah. Like, yeah, all the camaraderie in the world actually can't save you uh, with the, a, uh, an insane, super-powered villain. Getting back to main movie at hand, I think we can wrap up thoughts on Spider-Man, right? I think we're, yeah. I think we're pretty good on this, so let's get to our rating then for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Each week, we rate films based on when you should go and see them. We have a scale from IMAX, the theater, dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it on that scale. Jordan, where would you put The Amazing Spider-Man 2? Uh, I saw it personally in IMAX 3D, and, and the fights, I gotta say, we talked about it before, but they did really look amazing. Just really cool stuff that they were doing visually. That said, as a movie, I think it's more theater, um, low theater for me. As much as the things I liked, I really did like about it. 
I think thematically and plot and pacing wise, it really does get brought down some. Um, but if you were going there to see a superhero spectacle, you probably do want to see it practically in, in IMAX because that was really cool. I'll agree with Jordan in, in terms of all those thoughts just then. Uh, Tyler, you're uh, reading. Hmm, I'm torn. Uh, because I do think that the spectacle sort of requires that you see it in the theater. Maybe not IMAX 3D. I, I saw it in 2D. Um, but uh, so I feel like, you know, especially like with the sound, and uh, I feel like it, it, there is an immersive quality to, to some of the action sequences. So, But I think the film itself is good, not great. So I feel like the some of the story content just sort of dictates that you see it on video. Um, but uh, I'll go ahead and say, uh, see it, uh, see it in the theater. All right. Abe. And I'd say just wait for DVD, Netflix. Um, the movie has its merits. And I think that there's a lot of good things that are going on with some of the relationship stuff as we've established, but there's just some goofiness that I couldn't get over. And, and I understood that it was a comic book film and it's going for that feel of comic bookness. Um, so I can appreciate that, but at the same time, I was just like, not everything has to be Iron Man, Thor, whatever else. Uh, it it can have its own taste and its own sense, but I just couldn't really get over that stuff and how quickly they moved along with some of the characters. So definitely just something that you can wait for. All right, so let's move on then. Let's get to our movie callback. Callback, callback, callback. So we discussed, or we mentioned some of the films that we may have thought of during or after the future. And uh, Jordan, do you have any callbacks? Uh, well, I mean, aside from the obvious other Spider-Man movies, I would actually go with uh, with Chronicle, which I just I didn't rewatch all of it uh, a couple weeks ago, but I saw the second half, and that's a that's a fun movie. I mean, there's definitely problems to it, but um, Dane DeHaan's performance in that is is not necessarily dissimilar from his uh, his performance here, and it's kind of a, a cool twist on that that whole type of story. Yeah, Tyler. Uh, I can't think of any aside from, I mean, obviously uh, a, a number of superhero movies. Um, uh, I mean, I did mention On the Waterfront as far as uh, that moment being, uh, Andrew Garfield's performance reminding me of that moment. But uh, uh, I can't think of anything really beyond that. Dave? Hey. I had mentioned Batman Forever, and I thought of that, that as well. And I also thought of um, Watchmen with Dr. Manhattan. But for the most part, it's kind of it. Now, Batman Forever easily stood out to me. It just the, the, This movie has a very similar template to that film in terms of how the villains are handled, how the, the world looks in general and things of that nature. Then Iron Man 2 that I mentioned. And uh, the video game Infamous, which involves lots of electricity powers. <laughs> uh, Let's not forget 500 Days of Summer as well, obviously for the Mark Webb connection, but that I do really think that that... Peter and Gwen relationship in these two movies is spot on and uh, really does work well. I mean, it works as like, like if it wasn't a superhero movie, you could easily see that plot being turned into a young adult novel. So, <laughs> and then remade into another movie, The Fault in Our Spiders. Yes. Let's get to our plug here, the Audible plug. Eight weeks podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com/slash/outnowpodcast. There are over a hundred and fifty thousand titles to choose from for your Android iPhone, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 device. And for you, the listeners of Out Now, Theron and Abe, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Abe, do you have a book to recommend? I do. In light of all this genetic talks, I'd like to recommend The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, 
And this is uh, it's an actual biography uh, of uh, this woman named Henrietta Lacks. She was a laborer in the South in the I think the '60s or something like that. Um, maybe even earlier. I apologize. But essentially, her cells were taken and cultured, and without her knowledge, and they have actually been since used to develop multiple cures, and they've been used as a base cell model for finding out more scientific research for more cures. Um, it's kind of an interesting story about how her family is trying to get into some legal arrangement and saying, hey, look, you guys never, uh, we never authorized you to use my mother's um, biological cells here, and we'd like to be able to find out more about our own lives and also about the scientific use of all this stuff. So it kind of goes into some of the, um, what's what I call it, the scrutiny and also the ethics of uh, cell culturing in the future here. Clearly, Abe has not read this book. I haven't, but I've read uh, it, or I've heard about it, and I—I I I was kidding. It. I thought you read it. Yeah, you had read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, you could get that book or any other book that you find at AudibleTrial.com/slash/podcast. Download it for free. Check out their service. If you don't like the service, you still get to keep the book. So, go along with that. AudibleTrial.com/slash/podcast. <laughs> All right, let's get to our feedback here. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over some of the various answers that we received on our uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We had answered, asked a number of questions and had our listeners provide some answers. And so let's uh, get to it. Uh, we asked if you could cast a Sinister Six movie or just Spider-Man villains in general. Who would you who would you put in there? Tyler has, as Craven the Hunter, Daniel Day-Lewis, because I'm sure that'll happen. Uh, Carnage. I kill your Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Carnage, Conan O'Brien. Vulture, Ben Kingsley, or Stanley Tucci, Kingpin, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, Jason. Ooh. Yeah, right. Jason's uh, suggestions: Mysterio, Bruce Campbell, Vulture, Bruce Willis, or Bruce Willis, Kingpin, Steven Seagal, <laughs> Shocker, Andy Serkis, or Hugo Weaving, Carnage, Andy Serkis. Again, okay. <laughs> Philip has Michael Shannon as Craven, or anyone else you want to be awesome. Uh, George has Vulture, Patrick Stewart, Doc Ock, Gates McFadden, Craven, Jonathan Frakes, okay, Electro, Brent Spinner, Spiner, Sandman, Michael Dorn, Mysterio, LeVar Burton, Bonus, Shocker, Will Wheaton. <laughs> oh, Madam Webb, Marina Sirtis. Yeah. And then we asked, uh, who else could play J. Jonah Jameson? Joe writes, John Mahoney. Okay. Brandon writes, Jason Statham. <laughs> Mike Jones writes uh, Arlie Ermey, which would be pretty Something. good fit, I think. Yeah. Jason has uh, Sam Elliott, and lastly, Philip has Anil Kapoor from Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. I mean, the correct answer is no one. Like, it's always got to be J.K. Simmons. Like, it <laughs> reboot can or not. Only be J.K. Simmons. Reboot or not, you just got to keep the J.K. Simmons train going. Uh, next question we had: Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, or Nilbog from Troll Two? Brandon has Nilbog for life. <laughs> Brad has Nilbug all the way. Jason has Green Goblin, William Defoe, Willem Defoe. Philip has Hobgoblin. He was rocking that orange hoodie before they were hip. <laughs> and then we also asked, add a subtitle to the new Spider-Man movie. Brett writes, The Amazing Spider-Man 3. I promise not to be as cheesy as Spider-Man 3, just about, which just about happened in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's pretty lengthy. Jason writes, The Amazing Spider-Man 3, Getting Down and Dirty. Mark Hoban writes, the, Sp the Amazing Spider-Man 2, so very tired. Danny writes, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, The Rise of the Sinister Six, 
That is way too long. It's actually not too bad. And then Philip has a Spider-Man 2. Web slinging boogaloo. Web, web slanging boogaloo. Web slanging boogaloo. All right. We also got some questions from you guys to answer. So, uh, Jordan, Tyre, you can feel free to also chip in here. All righty. Uh, Philip asks, who is your most likable villain not played by Tom Hiddleston? I assume he's referring to comic book movies. Mm. Any thoughts on that? Most likable villain. Q in Star Trek. <laughs> he's likable. Well, then, if if we're going to branch out beyond superhero, Darth Vader. I mean, he's not likable as in I want to go have a beer with him, but he, I do like that character a lot in a different sort of way. And he has, like, two great children's books with him growing up with Luke and Leia. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes, that's true. I think I'm going to go likable in the sense of, like, I want to – I just enjoy watching this person and not for the reason of, like, ah, he's so evil. Um, I'm a big fan of Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. He is pretty likable. I agree with that. <laughs> Secret subway tunnel entrance. Plus he has a great wig collection. So. <laughs> Aaron, do you have an answer? No. Okay. Next question is, how does the money a film makes typically get distributed? Great question, Philip. Guys? I, I mean, various percentages go to various part members of crew and cast on movies, and as well as to the theaters, as well as to different studios and people that have things licensed. I mean, what's the what's the specific of this question? <laughs> I don't know. Philip, Philip asked a question, and we have the answers. Philip, I, I, I don't know. Not offhand, I don't know how percentages work, but, you know, everywhere seems to be the kind of... Except for your pocket, and my pocket, and Aaron's pocket, and Jordan's pocket. And, and probably pocket. and probably the, not the script. <laughs> script writers, they get, yeah, sag, wag, dag. Yeah, one Damn. of those, one of those ones. <laughs> Jason asks, do you think Shailene Woodley would have been given a second chance at Mary Jane Watson, or do you think someone else was to be cast? Uh, we have no idea, really. We know she was cast. I think it depends on how Diversion 2, Diverge Harder does uh, at the box office or whatever, how that schedule works out. But, I mean, she was cast. She did shoot scenes. There's, You can, like, see them online now or something. Or, like, they've, they've talked, like, Mark Webb's talked about them. Um, I think that she should still be there. I think she's a she's a good actress, and her name is coming up more and more frequently now, so... It's just a matter of if she can. Right. But, I mean, if Jennifer Lawrence can do X-Men movies and Hunger Games movies and, you know, movies that get her Academy Award nominations, it seems like Shailene Woodley might be able to, you know, pull off one movie in between the other things that she's doing. That's because Jennifer Lawrence is a time traveler. <laughs> and our last question is, what's the best way to celebrate Star Wars Day from Patrick Butler? Use the Force. I, I think that you have to like a lot of photos on Facebook of your friends doing things about May the 4th? You just use the force. That's all you gotta do. Oh, okay. Like, I think, I think the key is to take uh, a beloved trilogy filled with the uh, nuance and characters and just really wonderful special effects and classical storytelling and try to uh, reduce it down to one pun. I think that's the key. <laughs> that's really that's really how you show a love for something. I think that's right, actually. I think that's right. <laughs> do or do not. That's what I say. Yeah. Well, that's, that, was right. enough, that was enough feedback. Feedback. 
Thanks. Uh, let's go over box office here. Each week we go over the totals from the box office, find out if our previous predictions were anywhere close to what actually happened. Abe, do you remember what you predicted last week for Spider-Man 2? First place, $97 million. You, That is what you said. I went 20 over you. I said 117. Maxwell said 110. Mark said 100 on the dot. Amazing Spider-Man came in first place, surprisingly. I know. Um, and made $92 million as of now. We're all over. A little bit over. Um, and... Uh, yeah, <laughs> not much competition this weekend because nothing else opened wide. Um, so yeah, another, nothing really else to say. <laughs> Bell, no, Bell opened in like four theaters. So yeah, good for them. The other woman was in second place. I don't really care. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's get to our game. All right. Do we have a game? Is it is it that I, time? Yeah, I think it's time for some some games here, Aaron. That's exactly like uh, Hans Zimmer score. Just like it. Yeah. All right, I've got a new game for you guys this week. It's called, Hey, I'm in that movie. All right. Yeah? So, how's, how, how's that work? So what it is is I'm going to name the uh, actor, and I'm going to describe a film that he was a part of, and you guys have to name the film. So you guys will have to ring in with your name. So, for instance, if I were to say, Jude Law was in this movie with uh, the kid from The Sixth Sense, then you'd say, you'd ring in with your by saying your name, and then you'd say, AI. Does that make sense? Makes Are we going to say AI to every question? Because I feel like that. <laughs> Let's not do I feel that. Like that. I feel like you're trying to sabotage us here. That would be. That is one week. I will do that just to mess with <laughs> everybody. That's the same answer for everything. All right. Let's try this out here. I got ten here we, questions. Here we go. All right. Number one, Colm Fior, who was the uh, successor to the Osborne Corporation in this movie. I played a doctor in a movie about an FBI agent hunting down the man who murdered his son and then switching body parts with each other. A 1997 film. What body Jordan. part? Jordan. Face off? That is correct. Oh, body part. Okay. I don't think I've ever actually seen that, but it sounded like the title, so. That is, yeah, that's absolutely correct. All right, next one. BJ Novak was in this movie with Hank Azari about little people who enter the human world. Oh, they're blue. Aaron. Aaron. The Smurfs? That is correct. Next one. Andrew Garfield was in this movie about the political scene in Washington mixed with military actions and consequences, which also happens to star and be directed by Robert Redford. Tyler. Tyler. Lions for Lambs. That's correct. All right. That's a movie. Terrible movie. <laughs> Next one. Emma Stone was in this movie about a great Dane who can talk. Aaron. Aaron. Marmaduke? That's correct. She's really in that? A- apparently. She's a voice actress. In I that, try to yeah. forget that's a movie. Next one. Jamie Foxx was in this movie about a son growing up to take over his father's company from his sadistic, military-minded uncle. Oh, their last name was Zevo, and then an awful game for the Sega Genesis. I'm you sorry, la- can you... Can you, you laid in a lot of information at the yeah. end that doesn't seem yeah. to matter at all, so let's, let's do that again. <laughs> Jamie Foxx was in this movie about a son growing up to take over his father's company from his sadistic, military-minded uncle. Their last name was Zevo. Tyler, is it Toys? That's correct. Is it Toys? A terrible movie. Who does he play in Toys? Yeah. It, it says Baker. Oh, jeez. All right. Wow. It'd be like I know LL Cool J was in Toys, and no Jamie Foxx was in Toys. Yeah, I thought you might have been getting him mixed up with LL Cool J, and I was going to call you racist. No, no. Jamie Foxx—he'd just be like—he'd just be like starting out in Toys. Like that'd be like one of his first movies. That actually was his first listed. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, next one. 
Paul Giamatti was in this movie that had him playing Old St. Nick. Tyler Fred Claus. That is correct. Next one. Sally Field is in this movie about a young Harvard law attorney looking to stop animal testing on hair products. Harvard Law. Three, two, one. Legally Blonde 2. Red, White, and Blonde. All right. Yeah. Dane DeHaan was in this movie. Not upset I didn't get that one. No. Nobody should be. Dane DeHaan was in this movie as a Union soldier who had impeccable teeth and could recite a president's speech verbatim. Aaron. Aaron. Lincoln. That is correct. Next one. Two more. Okay. Chris Cooper and Jamie Foxx both played military personnel during this Operation Desert Storm movie. Chris Cooper was in that? Chris Cooper and Jamie Foxx both played military personnel during this Operation Desert Storm movie. Aaron. Aaron. Um, God, what's that Sam Mendes movie? Um, Jarhead. That's correct. Chris Cooper's in Jarhead? Yeah, he played, like, one of the generals that... He's in he played there the very jar. Briefly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very briefly. Last one. Paul Giamatti was in this movie about FBI agents going undercover. Deep, fatty, fat undercover. Aaron. Aaron. Big Mama's house. That is correct. Let me do the totals here. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. Aaron, you are the winner. Tyler, you come in second. Yay. And Jordan, <laughs> you come in second to Distant second. Distant third. Second to second. Most people go backwards order, but Abe's like, I'll just throw the winner out in front of everybody right away. <laughs> so who cares? <laughs> so that was, hey, I was in that movie. That was a game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, do a little Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are new movies coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. Um, first up, we have Veronica Mars. Yay. Which uh, is fine for fans. Uh, Son of Batman, the latest from DC Animated. Yay. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's all right. Uh, a ton of Godzilla movies come out on Blu-ray this week. I wonder why. And got added to Netflix Instant, by the way. Yes. Yes, they did. King Kong vs. Godzilla. That was a good That was a good movie. That's a movie. <laughs> uh, and lastly, The Art of the Steel with uh, Kurt Russell, among others. This was, uh, it was on VOD and now it's on Blu-ray. And uh, if you like really, really, really plain heist movies, then that's, you know, it's fine. If you want to see Kurt Russell in a movie again, I haven't seen him in a while, so I was like, oh, that's cool. But yeah, that's uh, that's it for that. Uh, next week's show, uh, we are not talking about a movie in particular. We are going to talk about something else completely, but it is our 150th episode, Spectacular. Insert exp- explosion. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we got we, we have something coming up there. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. For now, you should just know that, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the plan. We're going to have... Some ve- some very general movie talk going on. That's the idea. Fantastic. But uh, yeah, that's that's it. It's gonna do it. That's gonna do it for this week's episode about now Theron and Abe. You can uh, find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews, as well as my reviews for uh, the various movies about the Newport Beach Film Festival. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe. You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com/walrusmoose. Hashtag I'm not sure. Jordan? 
<laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jordan FRM Jersey, and you can find me on a bunch of podcasts at HHWLOD.com, including my flagship show, Jersey Shore, S-U-R-E, where listeners about now with Aaron and Abe will probably enjoy our Netflix episodes where we talk about movies you can watch right now on Netflix Instant. Uh, we talk about them in both spoiler and spoiler-free sections and also recommend things you might enjoy. And this week on the show, me and one of my oldest friends went back and talked about our days uh, making music together in early days of high school, and we even played some clips from some of our awful, awful songs that almost but not quite violate the Geneva Convention with how bad they are. That That's sounds a, amazing. Sounds terrible. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> it amazing. Is. That's why I keep the clips very short. Tyler? Well, uh, you can find me at BattleshipPretension.com, which is the movie podcast that I host with David Bax. Um, it has been going for a while. Uh, I listen to you say, like, oh, uh, we're coming up on 150 episodes, and I think, wow, that's cute. <laughs> um, we just recorded episode 372. Um <laughs> which means we've been going longer than uh, I'd venture to say longer than we should have, I'd say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I'm trying to, when does this, uh, I'm sorry, when does this go up? This will go up on Tuesday. Okay. Uh, so the most recent episode, uh, features a, uh, an actor and comedian named, uh, Matt Gorley, who is known for the super ego podcast and was on uh, drunk history a couple of times. Um, just talking about various things, including his love of James Bond movies and uh, and other such things. So, um, and we also talked very briefly about uh, the the loss of uh, Bob Hoskins. But anyway, so you can find that at battleshippretension.com. I also host another podcast called More Than One Lesson, which is uh, film criticism from an overtly Christian point of view. Um, our most recent uh, episode. We've been doing a, a series of, of smaller episodes, or which is, say, shorter episodes, about the various best pictures. And I think the most recent one is about The Departed. But aside from that, we have uh, episodes about Noah and God's Not Dead. Uh, one of them we liked, one of them we didn't. The answer may surprise you. Um, and so if you go to morethanonelesson.com, uh, you can find that. You can also follow me on Twitter, at morelessons. And I think that's it. Great. Also a big fan of Drunk History, by the way. Oh, yeah. You can, of course, find all the other episodes about Now Theron and Abe on iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as at hhwlod.com. You can shout out our show there, along with the other shows, including Jordan's Jersey Shore and the Walking Dead TV podcast, which features both Jordan and I, as well as the newest podcast, 24, the Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast, which myself and friends of the show, Brandon and Maxwell, will be going over the new season of 24 on a weekly basis. Beep. Beep. <laughs> you can... Beep. Beep. You can also find our episodes over at outnow.podomatic.com as well as youtube.com slash outnowpodcast. And feel free to email us your thoughts on Spider-Man 2 or anything else that's been going on this week in the summer uh, at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course you can follow us on Tumblr, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com or you can leave us a voicemail. Feel free to use the voicemail line 972 972- Seven nine eight three eight three zero. Send us your, you know, audio thoughts on Spider Man too. <laughs> Maybe we can hear them on the show. Guys, it sucked. <laughs> but yeah, Jordan, Tyler, thank you both for joining us both. this week. Thank, thank you for having me. Muchas gracias for Cinco sure. de Mayo. De nada. And Cinco de Cuatro. Cinco de Cuatro, indeed. Yeah. But yeah, until uh, next time, may the fourth be with you, and so long. And goodbye. 
Just a quick note, we do have a spoiler question toward the end of this podcast. Stick around and listen to that. It's a pretty cool question. You know what? I'm very glad that you brought up the New York thing because I wanted to run something by you guys. I didn't – I don't necessarily like to – I try to be on the on the alert for when I might be reading too much into things. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to run it by you guys uh, and see what you thought. All right. So, I mean, obviously, I don't need to tiptoe around what happens to Gwen Stacy, right? Everybody knows what happens to Gwen Stacy. Let's just say it follows the comics. I did not know comics. if the movie would follow the comics, though. I had my doubts, so, you know, that I don't know. It could be a spoiler. I, I did not know it going in fun. whether that would happen or not, for sure. She goes to college. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> there are talks of England. <laughs> um, and so there's a scene after what happens happens, and yep. Peter is standing yep. looking at her grave, and the shot, it's a wide shot, and there's a lot of space, probably only about six, you know, you know, six feet. But like, there's a lot of space in between the tombstone and Peter, and in between is the New York skyline in the background. And okay, I recognize it has been at this point nearly 13 years since September 11th, but. Obviously, I, I don't live in New York. Uh, that day looms large there still, I'm sure. And since Spider-Man is so specifically connected to New York, um, I found myself wondering if him standing there and seeing a skyline that contain that consists of mostly anonymous buildings in the Empire State Building and very notably not the 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 world trade center, the, the towers that like are very, that really defined the skyline for, uh, several years. Um, I found myself wondering if that was done on purpose. I think it was. Um, and this, uh, especially as perhaps a, uh, uh, to correlate to Gwen Stacy, like this is the thing that, that Peter was all, was like worried about. And then it happened and now that loss is probably going to define how he approaches what he does in the future. Um, I tried uh, – I mean it's the first thing I thought when I saw that shot, and, and I thought, okay, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think I necessarily am. Your thoughts? I don't think it um, is specifically trying to uh, evoke that. I do I, – I think it's – a matter of framing a shot, but I do, I do think the having that skyline in there, it's it's something what why I think the New York scenes exist to begin with. I feel like Raimi Spider-Man having like the original Spider-Man. I'll get back to this; it's gonna come around. 
I think the original Spider-Man where you had in 2002, where you have that kind of New York fans together scene, I think that was going to be art. I always think that was already in the movie, but I think it was emphasized and brought up again and again and again, because there's always been this kind of necessity to make Spider-Man like this quintessential New Yorker who's and have the kind of representation of the city at his back. And as a other character in this film to kind of emphasize how, Heroes are the ones that are going to rise above this kind of stuff that happens, these terrible things that happen. And it's something that, not necessarily, not necessarily like a studio mandate or something, but something that's very conscious in the minds of the, of the producers of Spider-Man that want to use New York and want to show how it's this great place and how nothing's going to put it down because Spider-Man and the New Yorkers are even going to be able to team up at some point and save the day. And so you have... Having a shot like... Having the scene like this of Andrew Garfield where he's standing in a grave and New York's in the background... I, I think I think it's I think it's there, and it's maybe it's maybe pointing something out as in terms of loss, but it then again leads to what the end of this movie is, where you have him once again arriving with New York, who's already kind of at the back of Spider-Man, because you have this kid coming out and standing and saying, you know what, I'm going to stand up to this kind of thing that's presenting this threat to our city, and then Spider-Man comes along, and is like, thanks for helping me out, which is again why I think. We do have that Quint, that New York scene in Spider-Man, and he comes and saves the day. I, I think it's in regards to Andrew Garfield out the grave. Maybe I, I can't I can't say for sure. I do th- I think having a skyline shot like that, there's I don't think it it's went it went over anybody's head, especially Mark Webb, who you know likely designed the shot. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily trying to emphasize that quality. If anything, I think it's really there to just show him separated from the city. As he's separated from Spider-Man, he's also separated from the geographical location that defines that character. So when he returns to the city as Spider-Man, that's a big deal. And my thoughts are, <clears throat> and my thoughts are essentially when you brought that up just right now, like that's a cool thing to think about. I didn't think about it before, and I don't know if there's really any representation of it. But when you do think about it on that level, yeah, it's like a it's like a two for one. Um, and I don't mean that in a very joking and jovial way. No, I, I get what you mean. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very, it's a poignant scene, and it's um, it kind of makes you <laughs> sad now when you think about it. E- even sadder than you were before, because that, that is a, the, a very affecting scene. The 500 Days of Emma montage. Yeah, sequence. yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Reality huh. and then what goes on uh, in his head, yeah. Good thoughts on that. Yeah, it was... It was just a thought that I had, and I did have the thoughts. Like, I, I bet I'm the only one to think this, which is not to say I think, oh, everybody's – I'm the only one who gets it. But it is – it is uh, like, anytime I see a New York City skyline that is really emphasized in a film, my first thought is, all right, are they trying to emphasize an absence of something? And we all know what that absence is. And so I, I wasn't sure. I wanted to get your guys' take on it. So well, thank I you like, for, yeah, for, sure. for I, indulging me. I like I like what Jordan brought to it. I do, I do think it represents more of a separation from his city as opposed to separation, you know, something that directly correlates to 9/11. But at the same time, I I don't think that's I don't think that's any anything anyone can look past at this point just because of the kind of event that that is and the kind of loss that a city suffered because of it. So it's certainly not something that goes beyond the realm of possibility. It's not one that I necessarily think is entirely the way it was being intended. Yeah, good thoughts on that one. <laughs> 